Welcome back to Beyond Sunday School. It's been a couple of weeks, uh, but we are we are back and and ready to ready to rock and roll. So we are glad uh, to have you glad to have you with us. And um, you know we we do this typically Thursdays at one o'clock in the afternoon, uh, but due to uh, my inability to handle my schedule. Uh, we are, we are meeting a little earlier here this week. So, uh, typically it's Thursday afternoons, uh, but, uh, this week we're, we're rolling here at 10 o'clock in the morning. So, uh, hopefully I'm, I think I'm fully caffeinated and we will, we will see how this goes. Uh, we are continuing our series on the resurrection and, uh, we are into week three of, uh, a Pauline Easter. This week, we are going to take a look at Romans and uh, what what does it have to say about resurrection? And you can go back uh, a few weeks and check out uh, some of our earlier uh, episodes uh, that where we looked at the background of uh, kind of the afterlife in Greek and Roman culture. And then we spent a week looking at uh, the afterlife in uh, Jewish culture. And we spent the last couple of weeks uh, working our way through Paul. And uh, so here we are in Romans. And our next, uh, our next class, our next uh, installment will be on 1 Corinthians 15, which really is uh, kind of the, the high point of teaching in the New Testament about the resurrection. Uh, Paul, Paul goes deep there. So that's, that's where we are heading. Uh, as always, if you would like to be with us in the Zoom room to be kind of a part of the, the live recording and broadcasting of Beyond Sunday School, we would love to have you. Just reach out to me anywhere that you're connected to me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, text, I don't know, wherever, wherever it is that we're connected, you can, you can hit me up, let me know, and I will send you the link. And um, and then you can be a part of, of the live recording and uh, broadcast of Beyond Sunday School. So as we go through here uh, this, uh, this morning, you may hear some voices. And uh, those are folks that are here with me in, in the Zoom room. And uh, so if you want the opportunity to interrupt, ask questions, all that kind of good stuff, boy, come and, come and be a part of, of uh, Beyond Sunday School Live. We would love to have you. So uh, with all that being said, let me, let me pray, and then we will, we will get rolling here. Heavenly Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for uh, the sun and the warm weather, and we, uh, we thank you for the example of St. Patrick, uh, one who lived his life in light of the resurrection as we, as we remember him today on this on this St. Patrick's Day. And uh, we pray that you would use this time uh, to help us grow deeper in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's get rolling, shall we? Uh, like I said, we are, we are moving here into Romans. And as always, we are jumping off of uh, the New Testament in its world 
by N.T. Wright and Michael Bird. It is, in my opinion, one of the best New Testament surveys uh, out right now. It asks a lot of great questions, and it is uh, it really works through uh, some of the, I don't know, maybe more more modern issues and things that, that we're wrestling with as opposed to some of the older New Testament surveys. And that's why we keep writing new, new New Testament surveys, new Old Testament surveys as we grow in our knowledge and understanding, as we uh, gain more information. Uh, we, we ask different questions, and so we need new editions of these kinds of texts. And so uh, the New Testament its world is very helpful and uh, so that's, that's what we're jumping off of. I would encourage you to grab a copy. Uh, it is big and thick. And so if you don't want to read it, it might be useful at least as a doorstop. So, uh, so yeah, so here we go. All right, Romans. Uh, Romans is probably one of, one of the most important books in the New Testament. And uh, it's, it's widely regarded as, uh, as oh, maybe, maybe kind of the, the, the highlight of, of Paul's writing. He was, some would say he was writing at the height of his powers when he, uh, when he put together Romans. It is this wide-ranging text that really does a pretty amazing job of <clears throat> Paul's understanding of the faith. Uh, it runs the gamut from Old Testament uh, into New Testament. He makes all kinds of connections from Adam and Abraham to Jesus. Uh, he, he challenges us to think about what does it mean for us to live life as uh, righteous ones, what does it what does it mean for us to live life as those who have experienced uh, salvation, who are um, who are living after Christ? This is it's 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 an amazing text, and and it's interesting. It's one of those texts where people are like, boy, it's so long, because in our Bibles it is sixteen chapters, and so it feels. Uh, it feels big. And yet, if you were to print uh, Romans <laughs> on a newspaper in, in the newspaper, it would it would be the front and back side of one one piece of newspaper and uh, one page. And so it's it's not as long as we think, but it is just dense. And it is it, there are places where uh, as you read it, your heart soars. There are places where you read it. And your mind uh, gets twisted into pretzels because Paul really is, he is doing a lot of work in, in the book of Romans. And uh, so it's, it's a fantastic text and it is, it is one that is uh, worthy of, of kind of its own standalone uh, session here. Now, uh, Wright and Bird make a, make an interesting point as they are, uh, as they're writing this, they, they say, you know what, Romans could have been known as the resurrection epistle uh, if it weren't for the fact that uh, it has become known as the justification by faith letter. And so they said, you know, you can, you can squeeze Romans in, in all kinds of different ways and, and resurrection just oozes out of it. 
And I think that makes a lot of sense when we think about the reality of Romans being this uh, kind of known as this justification by faith letter. Uh, You're going to have to have crucifixion and resurrection everywhere. And that's what we see. And uh, so, so let's, let's dive in. So Romans opens with, uh, with resurrection. You don't get very far, right? Verse three, chapter one, the gospel concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. So right from, right from jump street, uh, the resurrection is taking, it's, it's, it's taking center stage, right? What, what we see here uh, is that the resurrection is what marks Jesus out as King and Lord. It is, it is the validation of the messianic claim, right? So, so he says, um, you know, here's, here's Jesus and by flesh, he just, he was descended from David. Now there are a lot of people in Jesus's day and age that could claim that, right? I mean, all of, all of Jesus's siblings, um, his parents, you can, you can trace back a descendancy from David, according to the flesh, um, through a lot of people that it's not that, that made Jesus unique. It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he was descended from David, according to the flesh that was unique about him. There are, there are a lot of, a lot of people that, that can make that claim. Um, what was, what was unique where the declaration came, uh, for him to be known as the son of God was, was through the resurrection, right? So, so as we begin reading Romans, as we, as we seek to study Romans, as we seek to understand Romans, we have, we have to begin with this with this central reality, this central claim that the resurrection really is kind of the key thing that, uh, that marks Jesus out as Lord and King. Uh, it is, it is the thing that, that shapes, it is the reality that shapes everything without the resurrection. Uh, Jesus was just another dead Messiah wannabe. Right, a, a dead Messiah is no Messiah, and so for Jesus to have resurrected, uh, this this is what ultimately seals the deal and proves that he was the Messiah, that he uh, was declared to be the Son of God. So there is this this validation and in uh, this marking out. Of, of Jesus's identity and of, and of who Jesus is because of the resurrection. It's, it's that central. Now, uh, we continue on and uh, into, into Romans chapter 4. 
verses 23 and 24 says this. Now the words that was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Now, what's happening in Romans chapter 4 is Paul is making this argument from Abraham. He is he, he's looking at Abraham and this idea of Abraham uh, being being made righteous through faith, right? That this so here was here was Abraham who you know who was who was living in faith. Uh, he was he was called righteous because of his faith. And so Paul now is saying, listen, this is how this is how we too are made righteous. We are not made righteous by the law. We are not made righteous uh, by by doing all of the things. We are made righteous by faith in the same way that Abraham was made righteous by faith. And so when we get here to, to, to verses 23 and 24, he is expounding on the statement, that, that Abraham had his righteousness reckoned to him uh, by, by faith. And so here, uh, Paul is now, is now really, he's really beginning his argument for how justification uh, works. How does, what, is it, what does it look like for us to be made right with God? What does it look like for us to find, uh, to have righteousness credited to us, right? To where we are, we are made righteous uh, through what Christ has done. And, and so he's, he's building this argument, and at the center of it is the resurrection, right? So you have, you know, you have Jesus does, who is handed over to death for our trespasses. So, uh, he, you know, Jesus, Jesus takes, uh, takes kind of all of the, he takes all of the sin, all of the brokenness of, of the world onto himself. And that would have been, that would have been one thing. Uh, so if it was just the crucifixion, that would have been, that would have been a part of it, but our justification, our actual, uh, changing, changing of, of kind of our, our identity of kind of what it, how our standing before God that occurs in the resurrection that occurs uh, because Jesus was raised. And it's, and it's, and it's this important little two little words, right? For our, he was raised for our justification. So this idea that, you know, Christ was, he was faithful. He was, he was his faithfulness to the promises, his faithfulness to the law, his faithfulness um, is now somehow uh, being, being transferred to us. And that transfer is, is encapsulated in the resurrection. And he is able through his resurrection, he is able to justify us. So resurrection is central to justification the resurrection is the act where justification was contained. So this idea that without resurrection, there could be no justification. Because 
the resurrection is the vindication of God's people through God's faithfulness in light of the promises made to Abraham, right? So, so what we see in the resurrection is we see the evidence. We, we see this, this active evidence that, that Jesus was innocent. We see this active evidence of Jesus's faithfulness. And Jesus, who is God, means that God was faithful. So it is, it is in the resurrection that, that the vindication of who God is and what God has done on behalf of God's people uh, is, is a remarkable thing. And it is, it is all contained in the resurrection. So we, we, cannot, we, we cannot overstate the importance and centrality of of resurrection it's 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 just it is central to to what god has done and how he has shown his faithfulness and how god is bringing bringing the people bringing his people back uh together with him but it doesn't stop there right so we get into romans 5 through 8 uh which is uh this amazing amazing passage uh right and bird say it this way they say romans 5 through 8 is perhaps the most majestic set piece paul ever wrote it is carefully structured in sequential arguments each with its own initial statement development and christological climax paul brings together the themes of cross resurrection grace glory kingdom life and hope towards an escalating eschatological crescendo. In other words, this thing is just beautiful. You, Romans 5 through 8 is, it's just, it is remarkable writing. And uh, as, as you sit in it and you let it wash over you, it really is uh, just a, a beautiful, beautiful passage of, of writing, uh, regardless of whether or not it's in the Bible. It is a beautiful bit of writing. And in Romans 5, 9 through 10, Paul says, Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will, be, will we be saved by his life. So, um, so there is this, uh, there, there's this this deep connection, right, of death and, and resurrection, uh, to the to the reconciliation of of God and and His people, and so you know, if you need, I think what we see here in Romans five nine through ten is that we need both. So we were, he says, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. So he's he's putting the He's putting the enemy status away um, through the death of, of Christ. Uh, but now, now that the enemy status is gone, we will be saved by his life. So reconciliation and by his life, we're, we're clearly here talking about, Paul's clearly here talking about resurrection life. This life that happens after the death. So after uh, the the, the, the enemy status has been gone and we're now reconciled, we can now be 
be saved by, by his life. We can be saved through the resurrection. And so really, I think I, I would want to make the argument that full reconciliation takes place with resurrection, that it is uh, that, that saving us, bringing us into relationship, bringing us back into uh, fellowship with the divine, this, this, is, this is the full, the full end of reconciliation. This is kind of the, the fullness of what it means to be reconciled to God, that not only is the enemy status set aside, uh, but, but there is also being saved. There is also uh, being brought back into a full fellowship with, with God. And this is what takes place through resurrection. And so we begin to see the argument being built here in Romans 5, 9, and 10, that resurrection uh, has way more of an impact than just, uh, than just kind of the moment. It's not just a momentary impact. It's not just a, um, a status change, but there is something else going on. There is an ongoing, uh, there's, there's an ongoing impact uh, made by the resurrection as, as we are, as we are living after Christ because of his life. And uh, so the resurrection is, is ultimately the means by which people are reconciled. In verse 518, Paul says, therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. So uh, the question is, okay, well, what's, what's the act of righteousness? Uh, well, uh, that is Jesus's obedient death on the cross. Uh, we can, you know, as you read, read five, Romans chapter five, you know, more in context, you see that this act of righteousness was Jesus, Jesus's obedient death. Jesus saying, I will go to the cross. I will, I will go to the cross and I will confront death and I will take, I will take all of the trespass. I will take it all on me. So here is Jesus's one act of righteousness. Now, what is, you know, so then, you know, you have the resurrection, which is the justification in life for all. Um, this is the, uh, th this is what had the, this is what happens um, as a result of resurrection. So again, if, if Jesus just dies, if he just has his act of righteousness, it's, that's part, that's only part of it. There is something that the act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all, which is resurrection, a vindication of Jesus and all those in him. You see life, life ultimately is going to come out of this death. And, and so that's, that's what happens. So we, we experience justification and life as a result of the resurrection. This is what the resurrection is able to bring about. Now we go further. Uh, Paul continues to develop this, uh, this argument for the consequences of, of the resurrection in chapter six. He says in verses 10 through 11, but if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We cannot, we cannot overstate the consequences of resurrection. What, what, does, what does the resurrection result in? It results in the reality that we now must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Our life is rooted, based, founded, grounded, hidden in Christ. And so, so when Jesus died, it says he died to sin once for all, right? So there is this, there is this reality that not only does Jesus defeat death, right? We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. So he is in death, no longer has dominion over him. Death has no power over Christ. Christ has defeated death, which means that Christ is now simply life. He will only experience life. He no longer, there's no longer any experience of sin for him. He is, he has killed it. He is, it is gone. And so now he lives and he lives to God. And so we now too must consider ourselves living in that reality right now. We are, we are living in the already, but not yet, right? This is an already, but not yet verse. Uh, this little passage here is, is calling us to, to try to live in the midst of the not yet as ones who understand are already. So in a very real sense, we are dead to sin and alive to God. That is, that is a very true and real statement about who we are. But, the, but we also uh, have not yet experienced the consummation of all things. And because we have not yet experienced the consummation of all things, sin and death, heartache, these things are all still very real and very present in the world today. But we are to live not as ones who are, who are given over to those things, who are going to be defeated or overwhelmed by those things. We are to be ones who live in light of the reality that, that we have been resurrected, that we will have resurrection, that, that, that we are hidden with Christ in God, and therefore we can consider ourselves dead to sin. We can, we can live with this sense of hope. We can live in, in light of the reality of resurrection because the resurrection has consequences for this life. So we don't go living this life as people uh, who, who, who live as though we have no hope. We live this life as people who know that the resurrection awaits, that the consummation of all things awaits, that we have been reconciled, that we have been justified, that we have been made righteous. And so now we need to seek to live that way. And, and so it's, it's this interesting thing, right, of, of, of how do we move out into the world? 
as, as people who live like that. That's, that's one of those things that we as followers of Jesus need to wrestle with. Do we, do we live and move and breathe out in this world as people who are overwhelmed and beset with sin? Or are we a people who move out in this world and say, ha, ah, I have great hope because even though I live in this time where sin is still a reality, I can live and know that sin has actually been defeated. Uh, this, is, this is what it is to live in the tension of the already but not yet. This is that, that whole, you know, that whole reality of, uh, you know, Victory Europe Day, or right, from World War II, where, uh, where there was no doubt that the war had been won, but there were still battles and skirmishes happening throughout Europe for a period of time. And that's, that's where we're living right now. And so Paul says, listen, go live with hope, live with the hope of the knowledge of the resurrection. And so when we, when we are confronted with our own sin first, when we, when we realize that we have fallen short, when we realize that we still need healing, we don't have to fall into despair. We don't have to fall into this this chasm of, of, of heartache, but we can, but we can, we can engage those issues in our own lives with a sense of hope with saying, okay, I do not have to give myself to this anymore. I am free to, to move beyond this. I am free to move beyond these, these, these sin issues, the, the sin sickness in my life. I can, I can get better. I can grow. I can change. I can experience transformation. And, and we call that repentance, right? Is this, it is this, this change in direction. And that is made possible. Our, our ability to change direction is made possible because of our hope of resurrection, because the resurrection has consequences for this life. Now, Paul drives and pushes us with, without, he just picks up steam as, as, he, as he goes in to Romans 8. And many consider Romans chapter 8 to be uh, the, the height of not just Romans, but many consider Romans chapter 8 to be the height of the scriptures, the pinnacle. And uh, in Romans 8, 31 through 34, he says this, so what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who is going to convict them? It is Christ Jesus who died, even more, was raised, and who also is at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who pleads our case for us. So, the resurrection is the foundation for hope, right? So it's this, you know, it, it's this fascinating thing where, um, where, where, where we are, we're walking through and, and Paul's like, listen, you know, nobody can make a case against you. Nobody can bring a charge against you because God has acquitted you. Nobody can convict you. Why? Because Christ Jesus died and even more was raised. Again, it is, 
it is in the context of resurrection that our hope for ultimate acquittal is found. It is in resurrection that we are able to hope in the reality that, that Christ lives and is pleading our case for us. It is, it is a remarkable thing. And it doesn't stop. He says in Romans 8, 37 through 39, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So why are we able to say, why is Paul able to say that? He's able to say that because death has been defeated in the resurrection. All of these things have been defeated in the resurrection. There is nothing then that can separate us from the love of Christ because of the resurrection. It is in the resurrection is ultimately rooted in the love of God. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And and it is, and how is that true? How is that real? Well, it's true and real because Christ was resurrected. Christ did not stay dead. Christ was vindicated as the Messiah, as the one who brings justification and righteousness uh, to, to all. He is the one through his resurrection uh, that, that is able to hold all things together. And that nothing, nothing now can separate the reconciled ones uh, from, from their God because Christ lives, because Christ has defeated all these things in the resurrection. In Romans 9 through 11, uh, you have this discussion of covenant renewal. You have this whole hard, difficult discussion about the, the place of the, the place of Jews and Gentiles and how do they, how do they work together? How does this gospel story fit into what we read in the old Testament? How does, how, how does, how does all of this work itself out together? That's, that's what we begin to see Paul develop in Romans 9 through 11. And, and so as we read through it, it can feel difficult. It feels hard um, because Paul is wrestling with some pretty significant theological questions that uh, the people in the first century were struggling through, that they were wrestling with. Because let's be honest, um, we don't think too much in our day and age about how did Jew and Gentiles fit together in, as the people of God. And, and yet in the first century, the only people of God were, were the Jewish people. And so now you have this new sect uh, on the scene, right? Saying, no, the people of God is now inclusive of the Gentiles as well. How does that work? Are the Gentiles replacing Israel as the people of God? Um, are they kicking them out? You know, as God said, oh, I'm done. I'm done now with the Jews. And so bring on the Gentiles. And Paul says, no, 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 that is not what is happening. Uh, the Gentiles are not replacing uh, the Jews as the people of God. They are being grafted into the people of God. Through Christ, we are now seeing 
God's covenant faithfulness come to fruition, where the promises made to Abraham uh, back in Genesis are now being made good, where Abraham is and his descendants are now a blessing to the world. And so 9 through 11 is, is really kind of an argument made by Paul uh, that covenant renewal has taken place, that God has proven faithful. And in God's faithfulness now, he has, he has brought about this universal, this global blessing that he promised he would bring back in Genesis 12 and 15 and in, in, in those, those conversations with, with Abraham. And, and so let's, let's take a look here in Romans 10, 9 through 11. It says, but if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, so I, I like the way that the Reitenberg put this, they say resurrection is the foundation for salvation through covenant renewal. We, we see that God is, God has proven, has proven faithful. God has proven faithful to the covenant. Um, and, and so, you know, here he is able to, through the resurrection, bring Jew and Greek together, bring Jew and Gentile together. He, he shows himself, vindicates himself as the one Lord. And this one Lord is generous to all who call on him, which is, we can sometimes read that and, and miss how significant of a statement that is. So much of religion in the first century was rooted in ethnicity. This idea that there were the gods of this people and the gods of that people and the gods of those people. And, and so with, with so much of, of religious faith wrapped up in one's ethnicity, one's ethnos, the idea here that the one Lord is generous to all and that all can find salvation in the one Lord this was radical. This was transformational. This was something that, uh, you know, really wasn't seen. This was, this was the declaration of a, of a singular universal Lord who through this one Lord's generosity saves, saves all, justifies all, brings righteousness to all all through the resurrection of the one Lord, Jesus. This, this, is, uh, this, is, this is remarkable stuff because now we see this universal, this universal God, this God who is saying, I am, I am the God. And Jew and Gentile alike, it, it, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome in me. And that, that is... That is something we cannot underestimate. It was something we should not overlook. And um, 
And it is all rooted in the resurrection because it is through the resurrection. Remember from Romans chapter one, verses three through five, that Jesus is vindicated as the Lord and King. He is vindicated as the Messiah. It is, it is the resurrection that sets him apart. It is the resurrection that makes him unique. It is the resurrection that points him out to be the one true Lord of all who welcomes through his generosity all to come to faith. Remarkable. Absolutely, absolutely beyond our, I think sometimes beyond our comprehension. So we, we fly past it, but we should not fly past it. No one who believes in him will be put to shame. That is, that is hope. That is good news. That, that is, that is joy. If we, if we allow it to be, you see, it's, it's interesting, right? Uh, It's interesting that, that I think sometimes in our modern context, sometimes in our, you know, kind of evangelical Christian world, uh, we, we forget that statement that anyone who comes to him will not be put to shame. And uh, it seems as though in some circles, we are, we are very much about uh, bringing people to shame. And that is, that's just not, it's not the way. It's not the, it's not what it's supposed to be. When, when the gospel message begins to be used to shame others, shame people, we've lost the message. We've lost the plot. You know, the gospel message uh, embedded in the resurrection is one that is supposed to free people from shame. It is supposed to be the thing uh, that, that unites Jew and Gentile, cuts across all these things that divide us and brings us uh, together, uh, reconciled as, as one people. And, uh, and, and we, need, we need to remember that. We need to get back to, to that reality. Now, he wraps up here uh, at the end of Romans. Uh, we, there's, there's so much more. Uh, we, could, we could have spent three hours probably walking through Romans, but, but we're going to wrap it up here with this. Um, in Romans 14, 9 through 10, he says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The resurrection is the foundation for the unity of the people of God. This is, uh, the, the, again, this is, this is important, right? So, so Christ, he brings, he brings everyone together. There, is no, there are no favorites here. And, and so it is through the resurrection, this ongoing result of the resurrection that that we that we are able to stand before the judgment seat of God now now let's let's not uh, let's not mince words here I mean the the reality is is that apart from the resurrection there's there'd be no way for us to stand before the judgment seat of God there's no way the resurrection makes that possible 
because it's in the resurrection that we are reconciled, that we are made righteous, that that we are justified. And and so so Paul says, hey, you're all we're all we will all stand before this judgment of God. So uh, we don't need to pass judgment or despise our brothers or sisters. We are we stand in unity in Christ before the judgment seat of God. This is this is the reality. Um, and so this is uh, this is an amazing thing uh, because part and parcel of standing before the judgment seat of God means that we are not dead. It means that we live life. Life comes from resurrection. So here we are standing before the judgment seat of God, resurrected, fully alive. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. So uh, this is, this, this crucified and risen Christ brings brings all of humanity together so that we may stand so that we may stand before God as resurrected ones living and uh, and so so Romans is it is a resurrection letter Romans is this amazing call to what it means for us to to live as as those who who will be resurrected ones, who, who are resurrected ones, people who are living in the midst of this already, but not yet. It is this, this call to hope. It is this call to faith. And it is, call, it is a call to live life differently out in this world, to be people who understand that we are unified, to understand that we are one before the face of God in the resurrection of Christ. So, uh, there's your, there's your thumbnail, uh, sketch of, of Romans. (laughs) So, uh, we blitzed through that. Um, so do you have, uh, do you have any, any questions? What are, what's, what's running through your mind, um, as, as you've, as you've listened to this thus far, uh, this morning? No questions for me. <laughs> that, may be, that may be thumbnail, but it's big. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, boy, we can, again, Romans, it's been said that if you could, uh, if you were going to be stranded on a desert island, give me Romans and give me Hebrews, and I would have a lifetime of study. Um, I don't know if we'll ever be able to plumb the depths of, of what we find in those, in those letters. Uh, but boy, uh, Romans is some, is some really good stuff. So really makes you think, uh, I guess I've heard it all my life, but you gave it a, a deeper meaning to it. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dorothy. Oh. Well, um, I don't see anyone on, uh, on the social medias either. So, uh, Guys, thanks for being with me. And uh, I don't know. I kind of liked this ten in the morning thing. Um, <laughs> my 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 day is a little more open now. <laughs> so I don't 
I don't know if you guys like the 10 in the morning thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe we should talk about doing it at yeah. 10 in the morning again. This was this was all right. It, it also forced me to get to get preparation done for this uh, <laughs> yesterday a little more a little more intentionally. So, you know, that was good, too. So but uh, we'll all right, whatever works for you. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, hey, let's let's go ahead and tentatively say 10 o'clock next week. So, uh, yeah, let's let's plan on it. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. next Thursday. So, okay, <laughs> maybe all right. we should say 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, gang, thanks for thanks for being with me uh, here in the Zoom room. Uh, for those of you that are watching or listening to this later, thanks for taking the time out to to look at this and listen and think about this stuff. And again, would love to invite you next Thursday, 10 o'clock in the morning to, to be a part of beyond Sunday schools, live recording and broadcast. We hope you will, you will join us uh, and uh, be a part of the conversation as we take a look at first Corinthians 15. And uh, we continue our series on a Pauline Easter uh, here in this season's uh, what's up with the resurrection uh, for beyond Sunday school. So, uh, please, if this has been, uh, insightful or helpful to you in any way, boy, it'd be great if you would, uh, leave a comment or, uh, rate us, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, or if you saw this on, uh, you know, social media or someplace, Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, share the link with your friends that helps as well. So thanks again for being with us. And until next time, love well my friends.